May I sit down? Aren't you supposed to be peeking into someone's mind? <laughs> You're very charming in an odd sort of way. I'm aware of your hostility towards Psycor and the reason for it. And I sympathize. You do? How nice. I should send you a card on your birthday. <laughs> when a top secret military unit takes over the station... You can't get all of us. Sinclair unleashes the final option. You're insane. Maybe I am. On an all-new Babylon 5. You have transmissions holding. Patch incoming signal. Full audio and video decode. Purple files accessed. What you are about to see has never been shown to anyone outside the break house. out there in podcast land welcome to gray 17 a babylon 5 podcast part of the front row network and npr illinois community voices we are here today to talk about season one's episode eyes i am scott and with me as always is emily justin andrew john jesse mike kevin and blake and guys before we get started with eyes i want to first highlight a couple of things uh first and foremost thank you to everyone who has been subscribing to us and following us and liking us and whatever your podcast app or YouTube as you do, because we've got a lot of new people listening to this than we did even a few weeks ago. So we want to really thank you all for that. The one thing I will say is we're still kind of slacking off a little bit on the reviews. We are definitely slacking off on the reviews right now. I'm looking at this and honestly, I usually read reviews from Apple uh, at the beginning of the show got no new reviews to read as of uh this week so we won't be reading any reviews so if you want your review read you gotta make one we really appreciate any kind of reviews you put out there audible spotify whatever but the one that really helps the algorithm we'll be honest here is apple so even if you don't listen to us on apple take a few moments head over to apple hit the review button and give us a review Tell us how much you hate John and how much you love everybody else. And that will get read usually on the show. If you can go one step farther than reviewing and liking and subscribing, we do have our Patreon. Our Patreon right now has quite a bit of people in it. We're really um, excited and kind of flabbergasted by how many of you feel like you uh, want to support this thing, but we really do appreciate it. We have several different tiers that you can pick from. Uh, for, starting with you got coshed at three dollars, where you can get behind the scenes information. I've been putting up outtake audio from each of these episodes, and my goodness, there's a lot of outtakes. But also, our hosts have been posting their show notes. Uh, so, uh, especially Emily, Nicole, Kevin have been posting a lot of notes uh, that they've been taking on their little notepads because they still use pen and paper. It's cute. Then you also have I'm getting flipped off by people for the audio podcast. You can't see that. Then we also have Team Ivanova, which is $6 tier. And for those folks, you can do a live Q&A with us once a month. So we will actually have all the hosts together, and then you can join us on a Zoom and just chat about whatever you want to chat about. Ask us questions, get our feedback on sci-fi shows that Jesse hasn't watched. I mean, whatever you want to do, you can do. After that, we have Team Probed. And with that, you can probe the show. With Team Probed, you can go ahead and... Uh, send us in a voicemail that will either be your comment or question, whatever. And we will play that on the show, on the actual podcast, so everyone can hear your comment or question. And then we will discuss it. And if it's a spoiler comment, we'll only throw it in beyond the rim. If it's a non-spoiler, we'll toss it out to the rest of our hosts. And then that is $12 a month. Finally, we have the Gray Council. For $20 a month, you can be accredited producer of the show. And you are the ones who absolutely are making this thing continue and continue to grow. So I want to take a moment to thank our producers for your producing of the show. And it's going to help us continue to grow this thing. Technologically wise, uh, we're going to have some exciting new things going on behind the scenes that we can utilize these funds for. And we also are going to be using it to potentially get on the road here come next summer. So that's really helpful. It is thanks to your generous donations that we can get to continue to do with what it is that we do, which is to mock art. Thank you. 
And for only a cup of coffee a day, you too can help us feed a starving Justin. (laughs) (laughs) I got the metabolism of Captain America. Mm. That's how that works. I I can say this, Justin, because I've said it about myself. The one time I dressed up like Cap, Cap let himself go. (laughs) (laughs) You you not only Captain America, you Captain Canada and Captain Latin America. Shit. Captain North America. Okay, guys, let's go ahead and talk about the episode at hand, which is eyes. Let me tell you how this works. We have a team of newbies and a team of what we're now calling ourselves the first ones. Those who have watched the show at least once, if not 20 times before. Our newbies are going to discuss the episode and they have not watched anything past eyes. So there will be no spoilers or anything that comes after. And then once we're done with the uh, discussion, we're going to ask her their questions and predictions. And then after we get those questions and predictions, we will answer all of them for them. They just can't be here to see it or hear it. So we will go ahead and jettison them out the airlock and go into Beyond the Rim, where our first ones will answer their questions and predictions and also talk about anything else that came up in the episode that maybe our newbies missed. So let's go to the newbies first and get their first impressions on eyes. And let's go to Jesse first. This episode pissed me off. I was watching it and I was like, who the fuck does this guy think he is? And then they kind of let him do his thing for a little bit and reeled it back in. Um, probably on a scale from one, like being the gathering and 10 being signs and portents. I'm probably at about a five with this episode. Um, I didn't hate it. I didn't love it. Um, it did, it did draw some emotion out because we got to really see Ivanova and her, um, her past came back to the forefront again. And I felt much more sorry for her this time than I did the first time I heard the story about her mom. Um, so that shows me how, how, um, I guess far I've come with her character development and like my feelings towards her because I actually like really felt sorry for her in this episode. Um, But she held her own too. And she was strong and she was the Ivanova that we know she can be. And, and I knew, I guess I knew she could be the whole time. They just weren't allowing her to do that. Um, So it was, it was, um, again, more, some more character development with this, this episode. And I loved the freaking Kawasaki Ninja. Like that was my favorite part of the whole episode (laughs) where they took off riding down the the hallway. I was like, that was the perfect ending to this. So I, I didn't hate it. There's nothing like Lanier doing his little arms outstretched and going, wee. (laughs) Andrew, how about you? Andrew, how about you? First impressions? Uh, Yeah. I also really like this episode. Uh, I really like that. We got a little bit more insight into, uh, Sinclair's mysterious past with the Minbari. Uh, this episode also really made me fall in love with uh, Lanier. Like, I think he might now be my new favorite character. Bill Moomy, are you listening? We like you. You should message me because I'm stalking you on Facebook. I am. Emily, first impressions. Jeffrey Combs was in it. So of course it was fantastic. See, we have the first Star Trek fan. I knew somebody was going to drop the Jeff Combs. Thank you, Emily. Go ahead. Absolutely. Okay, but... A little quick side tangent. I recognized him by his voice, not his face. You put yeah. him in alien makeup. I can recognize him immediately. I see his actual face confused as hell. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I know the voice, but the face doesn't feel right. So you haven't watched Reanimator is what you're telling me. Okay. <laughs> That'd be a no. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. Tis okay. the season. It is. Tis the season for Reanimator. I, I like the episode. I didn't. And I want to know who was doing the casting, but because they do an amazing job at picking the perfect actor to be the raging wanker. Like, <laughs> just the word, like, you just see him and you're like, oh, we have another smarmy asshole on board. Yay! Well, so you weren't a fan of Ari Benzane? Oh, just super fan. He <laughs> was fantastic. Loved him. He was great. <laughs> Throw him out the airlock. That's fine. But yeah, I did like this episode. I thought it was good. Since Emily broke the Jeffrey Combs seal, for those who know Jeffrey Combs, I need to know from everybody here, who's your favorite Jeffrey Combs character? Emily? And Dorian. Shran. I Shran. hate Enterprise, but I love him as Shran. Sure. Every time Shran shows up in Enterprise, Enterprise gets a lot better. Oh, I yeah. agree. Uh, Jesse doesn't know what we're talking about. John, I don't think you know what we're talking about. Justin, do you know what we're talking about? I love the Shran character, so okay. that's my Shran. job. Andrew, you've only watched the original series, so you're out. Although I wouldn't doubt if Jeffrey Combs popped up in the original series. He's been around for everything else. Mike? He is the voice of Ratchet in several of the newer Transformers oh, cartoons. Deep cut. So. 
Yeah. Kevin. Tran. Tran. Blake. I must say, as much as I like some is DS9 rolls, but Agamus from Lower Decks. Oh, yeah. The psycho computer. As Agamus in Lower Decks, the two episodes he's been in, which is that kind of psychotic, he's just funny and good in that. And now we know that he's going to be around more because he has a new partner in crime, if anyone's seen the newest Lower Decks. So good. I would say Wayun. I don't know which number, but I like my Wayuns. Uh, I think he just made Deep Space Nine. Brunt as well, too, but Wayun is definitely my Jeffrey Combs of choice. Okay. I found a fascinating fact when I was looking through his IMDb page because he also did the voice of the chief in the 2013 Doom Patrol animated, which I didn't actually know existed, (laughs) but the Doom Patrol live action series is one of my favorite shows. But he also did the voice in that same animated series of somebody called Mr. Morden. Oh, not the Mr. Morden, but a Mr. Morden. It's a completely different character, but I still thought it was a a really funny coincidence. (laughs) It has he also did right. the question on Justice League, and I thought he was really good in that, too. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Yep. Another really good Jeffrey Combs moment is in Frighteners, when he plays the crazy FBI agent. If anyone's ever watched Frighteners, oh, my God, <laughs> he steals yep. that movie and then and then takes it and steals it one more time just for fun. Yep. I mean, it, yeah, he's a great actor. And he was in the 4400, which started off as an amazing TV series and just crashed in a giant ball of flames that killed an orphanage but <laughs> jesus bad that bad huh so more so than lost but maybe not quite i don't know if anything will top that's another discussion anyway <laughs> that's another podcast <laughs> okay how dare you lost trash lost is trash after the first season lost is trash oh we're gonna be friends mike i was gonna say second i'll give it the second season yeah i can see that basically when the dad and kid leave that's when the show just like falls apart because no, 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 the no. kid's important to the show until he's not if i'll give you this it drops off in the third season because of the writer strike and then yes. they, they didn't have they're like oh well we don't really know when we're going to end this yet and then yeah. once they got the commitment from abc it gets way better yeah <laughs> all right so justin first impressions on eyes not lost <laughs> right i never watched lost so i have no frame of reference there i was intrigued by the character of colonel benzane um I, I could have sworn I saw him somewhere watching the entire episode. I'm like, I know this guy from somewhere. And I, Scott, I think you would appreciate this. Um, I did a little bit of digging. And honestly, he reminds me of Fritz, of Fritz Weaver from Twilight Zone. Like his role as the chancellor in The Obsolete Man. The Obsolete Man is one of, if not my favorite episodes of the Twilight It's one of my favorites too. But like, I'm like, I know this character from somewhere. And then that's when I made that connection. I was like, it's the same kind of like over embellished character that was like caught my eye the entire time he was on screen, even though he was a gigantic wanker, as you know, Emily quite wonderfully put it. I He still caught my attention a lot of the time that he was on there. And honestly, I give this episode really a good seven out of 10. Not not my favorite episode, but not by any means the worst episode but honestly i love how ivanova just whipped ass and took names during this entire episode like her fight scene in the casino was one of my favorite things to watch during this entire episode i can see why everybody loves her i'm starting to really jump on the ivanova bandwagon and john first impressions i feel like he said that last line and then you deliberately called on me next (laughs) Well, you're the only one left because Nicole is out because she decided to have a vacation. So you're up. I will agree with Jesse with the, I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. There were parts about it that I did enjoy. Um, A lot of it that I didn't, I mean, the villain seemed just way over the top for me. Like, look, I'm down for a villain. I'm down for whatever. But when you show up and you already got the classic bad guy, he was a, he was a German accent away from being too much of a caricature. So that really kind of took it away from me. But um, there were some things I liked about it uh, that I guess I'll save when we get into. Uh, But I will say, so I'm not pro Ivanova just yet, uh, but bits and pieces of her, which I've said before that I've enjoyed. Um, So, you know, her backstory, if they keep fleshing out with her mom, I think that could be a good dynamic. But uh, I will also agree with Andrew Uh, Lanier. He's climbing up my rankings, though, I will say. He's he's not Londo level yet, but he's getting close. (laughs) Which, by the way, also, here's another knock on this episode. No Londo. So it can't be that good. I will say, and you guys are starting to recognize it more, the side characters and the co-stars in this show are freaking amazing. You've got Lanier, 
who we will see much more of. No spoilers. It's just we will see much more of him. You've got Veer. You've got Natoth. You've got Lou Welch, the hero that we need and the hero that we deserve, Lou Welch. You've got a whole bunch of just side characters who really make this show go, and I love it. Okay, let's go to our long-termers to see if they have anything they want to add first impression-wise, and we'll go to Kevin first. I think the guest stars really make this episode. I mean, this is one that's very Garibaldi-heavy, and there's only four regular cast members in this one, so you've got a couple of you know heavy hitters with uh, the guest stars making up the the difference with uh, not a lot of re- series regulars in this one. I, I really think that this one sums up the first season quite well. Uh, it was very late in the production order. In fact, it was the last in the production order. So um, it it really takes the entire season and kind of sums it up and goes over all of the. The major events. I do think that Gregory Paul Martin does a good job as Ari Benzane, but you know Jeffrey Combs is is always a, a top guest star when he's in. So, Mike, anything else you want to add? This is probably one of my favorite episodes that we've watched so far. Um, I'm a sucker for a, a really good villain, somebody who is evil to the point of almost be likable, and like who has a lot of charisma or i think i wrote in my note like gravitas like five times with this guy because he's just as emily and others have pointed out like so over the top it's it's almost a fault of the casting in this show because i feel like every guest kind of bad guy villain comes in and is super over the top and it's like they pulled them off 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 broadway because they have this very operatic uh rig mastery quality to their voice but uh at the same time he's good he's really good and you hate him and you like him kind of for being such a bastard all at the same time um likewise jeffrey combs is always amazing i really appreciated how good of an actor he is and how you almost like how sympathetic you really almost were to him in this episode and overall even though bester is best so Back to my original point of really liking villains. I love Bester. He's not in this episode, but I feel like this is an extension of a Bester episode because kind of amazingly in this show, even though he's not in it, you know, they called back about a million things from previous episodes in the season, including Bester. And this is an extension on that plot of I'm going to get you back for doing me dirty back in uh, the earlier episode. So, yeah, I mean, I, I again, I think it was a great plot. Uh, the, the B plot was cute. I, I also really was taken with Lanier in this one and his interaction with Garibaldi. There you go. Okay, Blake, go ahead. So this is probably one of my favorite episodes from season one. And I think going back to what a lot of our newbies have been asking through several episodes was, was there ever going to be consequences for any of the things that have happened or any of the things that Sinclair has done? For once, you're getting an answer that's not beyond the rim. It's this episode. This is where we start to see those consequences uh, come into play from a lot of those earlier pieces throughout the season uh, that really led into this uh, so-called investigation. And you see the resentment towards Sinclair as being picked as the commander for Babylon 5 and how that's played out with, you know, Benzane, who's absolutely batshit. And then having uh, Jeffrey Combs, I mean, played the character of Harriman Gray really well as also he, I, mean, I think he's a great supporting actor in most of what he's in, but I think it was really strong in this episode. I'm glad you brought up the whole continuity and, stuff coming back to uh, haunt Sinclair, because a lot of you guys have asked this a lot in your questions and predictions is, will Sinclair have to pay for this? Will Sinclair have to deal with this? Will, will, will. Well, yeah, he did when we finally got it. And back in the uh, the day on the Usenets, JMS, who gets a little testy sometimes, as I can speak from experience on, he said, by the way, about the time we were delivering eyes, somebody on one of the nets was going on and on about how B5 continuity stinks. I'll bet we never hear about Death Walker again or the strike or the Vorlons killing Death Walker or Ragesh 3. And seeing what was at the moment on my TV, I wanted to reach through the computer monitor, roll up my forefinger and plink that person right upside the nose. Unfortunately, I have not yet found a modem program that supports this feature, but they are promising something for the fall. Justin, what do you got? I really think that that's a really good point that Blake made about that because the whole scene when he's talking to the to the um, was it the Admiral or the um, the Earth Alliance High Command, they hung him out to dry and they said that well, yeah, you know what? Sorry, but we have we kind of have to do this. I can't get involved because we have to wait for the president's trade policy to pass through, and if you cause a lot of stink. 
that might actually hurt him. And so, you know what? Best of luck to you, Jeff, but you're kind of on your own. And that was kind of really shitty for Earth Alliance to kind of do to him, knowing that they knew that this guy had a personal vendetta against him because what he they said he was one of the what the top 10 commanders to take over Babylon 5 and didn't get it. So like, yeah, we know this guy has a personal vendetta, but you know what? That's that that's a you problem, not an us problem. And best of luck. And to me, that just gives a whole lot of more kind of clearance onto how shitty the the Earth Alliance system is. Kevin. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that not only is you know Bester kind of the phantom menace for this entire season. I see what you did there. But you know, Psychor is going to be you know a continuing plot point. And I'll just leave it there as far as you know my comment towards that. But you know, this episode is is definitely one of my favorites from the first season. I think the fact that you're you're seeing the major consequences of of the decisions that Sinclair makes throughout the season on several different um several different uh incidents uh come back and be questioned by someone who has a gripe against him um you know it's a it's a fairly common trope you know in science fiction and and you know other other media about a command level review you know lots of other places have done it but they do it to a lot of effect here and i think it's important that we see how how well JMS weaves the entire season together in this episode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that did come up as well, too. The whole kind of this is a, a trope that's been done before. And actually, people were pointing out that it's very close to TNG. The next generation is the drumhead. But um, JMS made it very clear back in the day that Larry Dottilio, who wrote this episode, we've talked about Larry Dottilio before, had not seen it. Uh, now you can also, and JMS says this, you can also say that the ending's close to the Kane mutiny or a few good men or any other kind of show like that. So, but, um, Larry Dottilio did not, uh, see drumhead before he made this, but again, it's a trope that happens a lot because you got to show consequences for your characters. And this is a good way to do it with this review process. I also, since you mentioned the Psychor, uh, Kevin, another thing that our newbies here have brought up a lot is, is this person a part of the Psychor and so forth and so on? Now we see another person in part of the Psychor, Mr. Gray, and he is wearing the Psychor uniform. So I think we're starting to see that if you're Psychor, you're usually going to be wearing that uniform. So, and by the way, Mr. Gray was a P10 for those playing the home game, P10. John. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Mr. Gray because I feel like he was a P10, but he was also a P100 creeper. And I feel like they try to make his story like sympathetic with the, oh man, I really wanted to, you know, basically be you, Ivanova, but also now I want to be in you, Ivanova, because my man just would not leave her alone. And I thought, dude, like she has given you super, like no consent here. Do not read my mind. And he's like, oh, what are you doing? She's like, not hanging out with you. He's like, cool, I'm going to keep hanging out with you. And he's like, oh, what are you doing? And he's like, again, not hanging out with you. And he's like, well, I'm going to read your mind just a little bit. She's like, hey, I said, don't do that. So uh, I was not a huge fan of that guy either. And I knew, but but you could already tell, again, this is why I kind of, this is one of the parts that soured me on the episode was the over-the-top villain. Once you start getting that little bit of sympathy for his side character, like his little sidekick, you already know he's going to turn on him in the end. You know exactly what's going to happen. You know, saw it a mile away, and that's exactly what what went down and stuff. So, like, um, you know, I probably could have done without that. <laughs> um, I I will say in my notes while I was watching, I go, uh, Gray is almost as as obsessed with Ivanova as Scott is. So take that for what you will. <laughs> hey, there's other people obsessed with Ivanova, not just myself. Emily, what do you got? Um, so when we first saw the villain of the piece. I actually thought he was with Home Guard. So finding out he was actually like Earth Force, I was like, ooh. Because I know we had talked a while back um, about Home Guard having connections higher up in Earth Force. And I feel like his character just reconfirmed that for me, that there is really something weird going on up there, especially with the use of the Psycor. But I, I seriously thought he was like the new space fascist for the episode. <laughs> We seem to have several space fascists and they kind of come and go, don't they? Yes, they Kevin, do. what do you, Kevin, what do you got? I'm wondering if uh, here, uh, if um, Colonel Ben Zane kept that scar intentionally. I think it's like uh, another another piece of his his puzzle. He's in the 23rd century. He's got, you know, three centuries up on medical technology. Sorry, two um, medical technology. 
and he's just keeping a scar. I think he's wearing it like a medal, and I, I think it makes makes him more interesting character. But I think it's I think it's kind of ridiculous that uh, you know he he goes goes throughout this and is like at the end of the episode, you know, pointing to it like um like like it's his his top medal kevin you pointed that out too in our commentary and for those who may not know yet we are doing spoiler commentaries on youtube of episodes as we start reviewing them so if you've seen the episodes before or you don't care about spoilers so our newbies can't watch these we are doing commentary and on eyes it was kevin blake and i did it and kevin you brought this up and i didn't even think about it but then after watching the episode again especially when Ben Zane at the end says, do you see my scar? I'm like, yeah, yeah, you absolutely wear that as uh, something that you have to point out to everybody. It's like, I got this because of this and that. Like, yeah. So just going back to comment on the kind of over the top villain part. I mean, I think we saw that, especially in the nineties era, you look at some of the different movies that were out around then that kind of had some of these over the top villain with vendetta type roles. And, you know, not just in sci-fi, I think we saw it in quite a few different places. So I think if, especially within the storyline of what you were looking at with, you know, the, the commander that had been passed over for Babylon five, the pieces with the, angry within earth gub at Sinclair. And it just all came out with this guy that, I mean, clearly had an ax to grind from the minute he got on the station and went through it. So that, that wasn't so much a bother for me, but I also think just to touch a bit on the B plot in this episode with uh, Lanier and Garibaldi, you know, this gets into some of those kind of buddy stories that B5 could do really well. And you see Garibaldi get annoyed. And at the very end when it's wait, you, you have this thing where we can ride it and just, you know, blasting through the station on the motorcycle and that look at the uh, elevator at the end when can't wait for things to get back to normal as the motorcycle just goes by. I'm glad Blake pointed it out. Sinclair's disapproving look through the elevator door made this episode for me. <laughs> We're all about the disapproving looks, aren't we, Mike? Yep. <laughs> As someone who specializes in them, yes, I like them. Oh, Mike and I were getting them from a certain somebody else on this uh, uh, show long before we knew you, Kevin. <laughs> I have no idea who you're talking about. <laughs> Justin, you're up. Where the hell was Talia during this whole episode? They bring in another site, you know, Psychor person, and we get mentions of other people, Delenn, and other people being off station, but like nobody even talks about or thinks about Talia, mentions where she is, what she's doing. Is she off station? Is she just being ignored? Like, why wouldn't she be involved or consulted with any of what's going on? Uh, was kind of mind baffling to me when I was watching this episode. Didn't Gray point out that Ivanova was thinking about Talia? Yeah, he is did, but they uh-huh. but they don't make any mention of where she is. Yeah, there's there's nothing. I, I will say meta wise, most of the actors, from what I understand, were signed for 13 episode contracts per season, partly because of budget, because this show is on a strict shoestring budget. So that's why Londo is gone for half the episodes. That's why Delenn's gone for half the episodes and so forth and so on. I can understand that. But like, why wouldn't they at least have written something in for her? They have different divisions and different jobs. They've alluded to Talia having other connections and training in other divisions, but she's a what they're terming a commercial telepath in this. Her job is to sit in on business deals. You know, that's within the structure of the show as a commercial telepath, she's doing business deals. That's why she was in that negotiation with uh, Kosh and uh, uh, Vic or whatever his name was in that. Um, so that's her job. So she's off doing the business deal pieces, not necessarily doing, you know, these military type readings or investigation parts or being a psychop. So, you know, as Scott pointed out, there's the piece in the episode where they were only signed to so many, but even their function within what their roles were within Psychor wouldn't necessarily put Talia in this scenario. John. Okay. So they made a big point about um, not, you know, you can scan, military members, but not command staff. And obviously Ivanova made a big deal about like, you know, you will not scam me. You will not do this, but you know, you don't just join the military and you're all of a sudden command staff. Like you have to work your way up. So I would have thought they all Sinclair, Garibaldi, uh, Ivanova, they all would have been scanned previously. So like, I'm curious how that wouldn't have come up before. Like, you know, why is it an issue now? I think, and I don't think this is ever said in the show, but I'm just making an assumption here and Kevin Blake and Mike tell me if I'm wrong. There is still a little bit of freedom in the Babylon 5 universe. And so 
even when we're doing the business transactions with Talia, when we're doing the side core stuff, when the side cops show up, you still have to get permission to scan somebody. Sometimes we see people like Bester being an asshole and bypassing that, but you still have to get permission. So I don't think anyone's forced to have a scan if they don't want it. They were changing the regulations to basically force it. And that's what Sinclair was trying to work around mm-hmm. is it was a change to the regulations. And it sounded like he was probably one of the ones who uh, got that put in place so he could do this. Yeah, I think so. I think it was definitely moving in that direction. I thought the change was specifically for command staff. And so that if, if you were being interrogated or I shouldn't say interrogated, but if investigated, like basically if you weren't command, what I got out of that. So the decade I spent in the army, what I got out of this is if you're not an officer, if you're uh, enlisted, like I was, uh, you basically get done to you, whatever they want to do to you, which I felt very comfortable with. Cause I recognized that immediately from my time in the military. Uh, but so then my question, that's why it made me think, Oh, well, listen, all of these people had to have been, you know, lower enlisted or lower, even junior officers before. So at any time, it felt like they could have and probably would have done a scan on them before. My guess is they changed the regulations from when they started, maybe. And this was like a new one expanding on that that may have come up in between. I don't notice any difference in the episode with uh, just being, you know, a a grunt in the, in the military and command staff. I didn't catch any difference between whether one would get scanned and the other would not. Yeah. And I think the assumption is moving at least until here, and we're discussing the change in policy here, but up until this point, the policy has been that you have to get permission to be scanned unless, and we find this out because of Ivanova's mom a couple of times now, Unless you're another telepath. When you're another telepath, that permission goes out the window. Yeah, that's the point I was going to try to make is I think the whole existence of Psychor and the fact that when you are found to have telepathic ability, you are either lobotomized or conscripted into Psychor. That whole thing fundamentally screams to me that everybody is is terrified of telepaths and and they only believe that they need to be silenced or controlled. Now, we now know through plot that Psychor has, in fact, turned things around because obviously they can do whatever the heck they want to do with their telepathic abilities and nobody can stop them once they've banded together as a military unit and been given authority uh, that they're actually pulling the strings. And so it makes total sense to me that while regulations used to prohibit Psychor from being a able to abuse their powers and use them willy-nilly on whoever they want that's starting to change now and it's because psychor is pulling the strings and it's becoming a huge problem for some of our characters including ivanova because she has dealt with this with her mother and she does not want to be scanned and we see that which i I actually i want to bring up a second point and kind of speak to to what john was saying about why he didn't like harriman and i actually got a very different read on jeffrey combs character and it and it may well be wishful thinking because i like him as an actor so much and and we were obviously meant to sympathize uh with him or or view him as an ally um i think that's a very uh, a good observation that you knew from the for me it was the minute that he chuckled at garibaldi's joke in the hallway in front of his boss i knew that he was going to end up being a quasi good guy in this episode he was going to turn on his boss at some point in time i guess i i got a better read on his character and to me his what you called creepiness his insistence on trying to get ivanova to like him i feel like since he's a telepath since he's kind of a marginalized person and to a degree i think he was desperate like he's used to people seeing his uniform and not liking him and he knew about Ivanova's background and why she in particular had a problem with telepaths. And so like my read on it was actually him less trying to be a creep and him more like trying to make a friend, like trying to say, please don't be afraid of me. I'm actually not a bad guy. <laughs> Obviously he couldn't control reading a few ir- stray thoughts and maybe that's just part of the deal. But um, yeah. So that was, I said, that was my take on it. And I will say to that too, and Larry Dottilio wrote this episode, JMS tends to build the characters that go into the show. And I see a lot of JMS in Harriman Gray. If and when you read his autobiography, he makes it very clear that he is a socially inept individual. I can see him kind of defining that character along those lines too. Just 
not how, knowing how to socially interact with people. And it does come off creepy, but it's more a lack of experience and knowledge more so than a creepy factor. Uh, he was like a puppy dog. Like, yeah, he wanted to way. follow her home. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way. Uh, the example JMS gives, I'll give a little bit of insight into it. We mentioned Harlan Ellison last episode. JMS and Harlan Ellison become the best of friends. And to now JMS is running Harlan Ellison's estate. But they used to have uh, dinner parties frequently. And JMS started realizing that whenever Harlan and uh, Harlan and his wife and JMS and his wife got together, Harlan would always bring somebody else along to the dinner party. And finally, JMS asked him, like, why do you always bring other people to our, our parties? And Harlan says, because you're boring, because I don't really enjoy conversations with you. So I need somebody else here to enjoy the time. <laughs> even though they're best of friends. So in JMS, that's when JMS actually had an epiphany and realized he really doesn't do social interaction well. He is somebody who kind of makes up his responses based on what he's seen other people do and kind of uses his ability to watch interactions with other people and use that as an example of how he should interact with people and it comes off odd. Yeah. So the way Mike described Gray's character it made me think of a note I wrote down and I'll save the actual question for um, our question section. But um, the way he said that made me think of the X-Men. And so, cause he had said, Oh, my power when they manifested themselves. And I was like, yeah. oh, man. classic X-Men outsider got powers. Nobody likes me. Like the way he was just describing, like everyone looks at me, sees my uniform and immediately either nope. fears me or hates me or whatever. I was like, classic X-Men. It's funny that not literally the way you described it just kind of flipped my whole view of this because I love the X-Men. So I've, I've been reading the X-Men since, you know, Claremont's run, Jim Lee's run back and back around the same time period. And so literally Mike, the way you just described that now I'm all in on gray. <laughs> yeah, see, and I was thinking the exact same thing. It sounds like the mutant registration act. So our audio listeners and YouTube listeners for that matter, I want you to raise your hand right now. If, and then tell me in the comments that you did, and tell me in your review that you did. If when John said he reminded me of the X-Men, immediately you started going da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
As soon as I saw her with her hair down, I assumed it was going to be a feisty Ivanova. Ooh, the hair's down. Gonna get feisty. Gonna get feisty. So Emily, uh, we were actually having this conversation on a B5 uh, Facebook page that you can't be a part of. Ivanova's hair is kind of like Ben Sisko's hair. When Ben loses the hair and grows a goatee, we get the real Ben Sisko. When Ivanova's hair goes down, we get the real Ivanova. So Ivanova's going to lose her hair and grow a goatee? We'll talk about that beyond the rim. It's a really rough episode for her, and I don't think we need to talk about it right now. That's when the plot really kicks in the gear. Mm -hmm. When she starts having issues with facial hair. Absolutely. John, what do you got? Uh, Yeah, so you call this the D plot, I guess I picked up, or just uh, a couple of instances. Um, I mean, how retro is Garibaldi and Ivanova? So Garibaldi has got a 1992 motorcycle in what years is 2300 something. So, I mean, think about how old that is. 2258. Yeah. And then it says on every episode, the year is 2258. I skip a lot of stuff. You said I could skip the intro. (laughs) Um, But then uh, Ivanova said, well, she said she was going to rip that guy's head off and then use it as a chamber pot. The best line in the episode. (laughs) I was like, man, they really, they're really going retro and they, they really like to go old school. Um, but speaking of that motorcycle, it's funny. When I very first saw it, I go, where the hell is Garibaldi going to ride a motorcycle on Babylon 5? <laughs> As if on cue, I should have been like, I bet there's some good 90 CGI that'll fucking show you if you just wait. <laughs> I have used that gif on our Twitter so many times, and now I'm glad I can use it on our Facebook page because you guys have seen it now. The gif of Lanier going, wee! The second funniest line was Lanier talking about, yeah, basically gas is bad, which you guys found out. And I was like, oh, that's cute. The sci-fi, again, assuming that humans have actually discovered that gasoline is bad and we're going to get rid of it. And we're, you know, how optimistic. Andrew, go ahead. So uh, going back to what John said about his favorite line in that in the episode, uh, my, my favorite was if I kill him, it would start a war. That is a good reason uh, not to kill people. I thought you were going to say your favorite. Uh, but, you said motorcycles are known for sexual prowess. I thought, JMS, <laughs> ride motorcycles? Why are we trying to be a pro motorcycle crowd right now? Not to mention it's a crotch rocket, so it's not oh. actually even really a motorcycle. Right. My first note of uh, the episode for the episode was uh, that whole motorcycle thing. Was that a sponsorship? or Kevin, you actually brought this up in the commentary. Go ahead. I did. So they basically just called a couple of motorcycle companies and the first one to say yes was Kawasaki and they didn't pay for it. And they, they said, Hey, do you mind if we take it apart? And they're like, yeah, okay, fine. No problem. But it was, it was one of the top performance bikes of its time. It actually was uh, the, the bike that would go the fastest at 176 miles per hour, or 283 kilometers per hour at the time. Took a couple of years for someone to overtake that. So I did pause when they had Ivanova's uh, profile or file up. I don't know if anyone else tried to, you know, pause to, to read it. This is what I got from it. I don't know if you read the books, Scott, you mentioned, like, I don't know if they give to specifics, but it seemed like she was 28 from St. Petersburg, born August 10th. She's 5'9", a buck 30, blue eyes, brown hair. Same birthday as I do. She's got to be 5'9", is tall as shit for a woman and 130 pounds is not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. So let me say, first of all, I have no judge of weight. I don't. I thought, I don't know, is that normal? No. So, but so it is, what's kind of hard to read. So her race clearly is human, um, but it looked like Terran. <laughs> the, it was very hard to uh, read. That's a, that's a normal sci-fi thing. Earth in Latin is Terra. So most sci-fi shows, well, not most, but like Star Trek, uh, Terrans, Babylon 5, Terran. So when Marvel. you what Marvel uses Terran as well. Okay. Yeah. So it, it's kind of, it's not just a Babylon five thing. The assumption is because our Latin word for our planet is Terra that when referring to ourselves to other aliens outside of our planet, we would be Terrans. So it did say Terran. It didn't say human. I was not. Yeah. Cause Terran is human. She's from Terra, which is earth. Oh, okay. I thought, uh, I thought the more, like, you know, surprised nobody mentioned anything about peekaboo being Garibaldi's like password or his little, it's his I, third favorite thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then (laughs) I don't, so again, this is, I don't know if this is a question, but they had mentioned when they were talking about the earth Alliance, they mentioned the four groups. I thought I heard, have they already told us what the four groups are? Uh, no, I would say that the two big players are obviously earth and Mars, which we already know. Uh, Proxima and Orion are the other big two. Okay. 
Thank you. All right. Did we talk enough about Ivanova's mom being a telepath? It's been brought up before. Yeah. Because Ivanova mean, did say that she got the sleeper drugs before. We just never saw it happen until now. Okay. But I just yeah. felt like that was a, I mean, I, I thought that was a bigger part of the episode or a bigger, like that whole dream sequence I thought was much more impactful than what we've kind of talked about today. The last thing before we get into questions, I thought it was an interesting camera choice when Sinclair was doing the interrogation. You know, they had done like the two shot, the cutaway, and then they're like right here up in his grill. And like, he was definitely ready for his close up. I don't know if that was going to be his Emmy reel shot, but I just thought it was a, it was a choice for sure. I did like the Orwellian, how you had the different sides of Sinclair's head behind him on the computer screens. Like he had multiple cameras on him at that one point. I, I did like that choice. He was definitely. Well, I just love the fact that that entire end, end of the, the episode where uh, the colonel goes nuts is all on camera and so many angles it's ridiculous like there's not going to be any arguing you know who was in the right and who was in the wrong in that room i will say I'm, I'm i'm intrigued that you guys haven't brought up at all because our friends over at babylon 5 for the first time laugh this up like no other when harriman gray ends the episode by just going colonel pain <laughs> <laughs> So one, I don't want to continue either one to shit on episodes. I, I was just going to leave that in my general way over the top. I mean, this dude goes so crazy. He pulls a gun as if he thinks that's going to like, yeah, this will work. Because now basically, I mean, what choice is it? Now he's got to kill all three of them. All four of them, really, because he's got to kill the telepath too. And destroy the tapes. Like, you know, this guy just off his rocker. You know, they make mention of mental health. And it seems like he probably won't go to jail so much as, you know, he might have PTSD or he clearly needs to get help. And so, mm-hmm. you know. So that was interesting. Kevin, what'd you have? I don't, I don't understand the hate on that, on that particular part of that scene. I mean, he's a P10. He can, he can probably pretty easily uh, cause a little bit of pain on somebody just to have them momentarily stunned. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't understand the hate on that. I really don't. Well, that's what GMS described it as on the Usenet. He said, cause I guess somebody asked and he said, literally great went into Ari Benzane's head and clicked the pain button. That's what he did he turned on his pain receptors i think uh the uh the babylon five for the first time guys just love the delivery of jeffrey combs saying pain we can ask jeff next week when he's on because he'll be joining us for tko okay let's go ahead and move into questions and predictions for those who are new to us the newbies are going to give us their questions about what may have come up in the episode that they don't have answers for yet. And then their predictions of what will happen next and then we will jettison out the airlock and kevin mike Blake and I will go beyond the rim and answer those questions and predictions and annoy the crap out of them because they can't listen and answer the, get the answers to their questions for at least two years. Andrew, we'll go with you first. Questions, predictions. Uh, I think I kind of had my questions and predictions earlier. Uh, was Psycor me, uh, meaning to take over Babylon 5 from the beginning? All right, Emily, questions, predictions. Um, does Ivanova have some level of psychic ability? And that's why she is so incredibly resistant to being scanned, especially with the dream where she like turns into her mother. I was wondering if she does have some slight ability and has been trying to keep it hidden. And if she got scanned, they would figure that out. Good question. Justin, what do you got? I I totally think Benzane is probably home guard. Um, And I think home guard and Psychor are in league together in some way um that i think will probably be revealed um later on in said uber major conflict that i've alluded to um in previous episodes that i think is coming um that home guard and psychor kind of unite together to overthrow the earth earth government or something like that and cause a major conflict and i think that the the mars storyline is one that i'll be hopefully paying a lot of attention to um i want to see where that goes and i think that's going to have a lot of hopefully implications uh going forward with the rebellion on mars and what ends up happening with that okay john questions predictions uh similar i've asked a couple of questions but i do have a few remaining questions um so one uh that i had talked about earlier with the the telepaths um so you know when i said x-men and it was talking about how they manifest. So I'm curious to know how they manifest. Like, how does a person know they're telepathic? Does it happen at a certain age? And then how does anyone else know that someone else is telepathic? So to, to Emily's point, I kind of also was like, oh, I wonder if it's, if it's genetic like that. If 
Ivanova's got a little telepathy, same to her point. Is she hiding it because, you know, you're only discovered if someone reads your mind? Like, I'm curious, uh, you know, I've said it before, I'm curious way more about the psychor and just telepaths in general. Because, when, I mean, when you introduce something like that in science fiction, when someone can read someone's mind, I mean, that, that power is just incredible. And so I, I'm curious to see just how much um, detail JMS goes into it and how much, you know, sometimes you can kind of do the Marvel yada, yada time travel thing. And then sometimes you can bog down into the details about how it works, how it's regulated, how it's this, how it's that. So I'm, I'm curious to see that um, on a more lighter question. I'm curious whether there are even alcoholics in Babylon five, because if you can just take a pill to negate the effects of drunkenness, it would seem like, alcoholism is gone yeah to the last point i think i mean we can get into a very long conversation about addiction but i would say that alcoholism isn't only about getting drunk it's about the addiction itself so even if you can get rid of the consequences of it doesn't mean that alcoholism goes away but i hear what you're saying jesse um what was what was their initial plan to go in and do the investigation because when they were first, when you first saw them, you saw, so you see them in, at first and they're talking about who's going to be involved in this whole thing. And they're like, Oh, we're going to bring Ivanova into it. And somebody said, no, you know, and, and Ari said, no, she's going to be part of it. So what was the bigger plan? We see what it turned into. Like we saw that it turned into a witch for some Sinclair, but what were they initially going there for? Did we ever get that because it seemed like it wasn't what they were going there for initially. No, he was going there. Uh, two reasons. One, we know that the senator was a Hidoshi had said that you're going to have to pay for this down the road. You're, there's going to be more. These, these folks have friends. So, and we also know that Bester had a part of it, even though Bester's not in this episode, he had a part in kind of pushing this. But I think really Ari Benzane's reason for doing it is he wants command of Babylon five. And he assumes that if he can get Sinclair off the station and removed that he would inherently because of his ego and because of his past, you know, being on the list that he would get the job. So what was the point of either including Ivanova or not? Like, I, they're like, I, I don't think it was ever directed at Ivanova. I think it was directed at the command staff and Ivanova was the one we saw with the biggest issue because she's always had an issue with telepaths. I think if, Garibaldi was the character who had issues with telepaths. I think Garibaldi would be the one we'd hear from more in this episode for the same reason. Does that make sense? Yeah. My other question was, why was she thinking about um, Talia? You know, because that was the first thing that Gray had mentioned was, Mm -hmm. oh, you know, Talia. So clearly Talia is a part of Ivanova's um, brain, thus leading to my theory that eventually there will be something between the two of them. That's all. Is that all your predictions? Mm-hmm. Okay. Anything else that anybody missed prediction question wise? Okay. Yeah. We'll go, Jen. Uh, yeah. So to stay on the X-Men theme, uh, that scene when Garibaldi goes to talk uh, to um, the Colonel and talks to Gray at first, he's put, he makes it a point to put on those gloves. And so I thought, Oh, maybe he's got like roguelike powers. Maybe the telepaths, if they touch someone, um, they can read someone. I don't know if that's true because they also can just read someone's mind, you know, without any physical contact. Right. So Gray was starts to read Ivanova's mind. So I don't know if it's like, in addition, I can do it just through my mind. I can also do it if I touch you. Yeah. They covered that earlier in the season that they wear the gloves because the stronger reading, if they do have physical contact. So you think they do, they all just wear gloves all the time. So they don't ever touch anybody. That's the intention. And we've seen that so far. Every telepath that we've seen has had their gloves. And the one time we saw the gloves come off was Lita Alexander back in the gathering when she scanned Koch because she needed a deeper scan. I mean, it's got to make for an awkward love life, right? We know how telepaths make love. We were told this Yep. in an awkward (laughs) line reading back in mind war. Remember? Do you know how telepaths make love, Commander? Mm. When he became. Yeah, and then the entire heart became all that he was going to become. <laughs> okay, on that note, we will go ahead and end it here for our newbies. Uh, for those of you who haven't watched Past Eyes, this is where you should skedaddle. We're going to have our credits run, and then we will go ahead and come back with Beyond the Rim, and that will be full of spoilers. Until next time, I am Scott, and with me has been Emily. 
Justin. Andrew. John. Jesse. Mike. Kevin. And Blake. And don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, review, give us stars, whatever possible. Thank you. And we didn't do a cool goodbye that time. Kind of bummed. I know, because the last episode we had a cool goodbye, didn't we? It was dope. I liked it a lot. Thank you for listening to Gray 17, a Babylon 5 podcast. You can find all the places to listen to this podcast and links to our social media accounts at anchor.fm slash gray17podcast. We want to hear from you, so please join the discussion on Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Gray 17 is a part of the Front Row Network and NPR Illinois Community Voices. You can find all the Front Row shows at thefrontrownetwork.com. Gray 17 is not affiliated with, and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by Warner Brothers or any other owners of the Babylon 5 copyright. All audio clips included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review, and no infringement is intended. The opening and closing Babylon 5 themes are available from Falling Matter on YouTube. And what's out there? The rim. And beyond that? The truth. Welcome back to Beyond the Rim. We are going to now talk about all of the questions and predictions that our newbies made. So one more time, if you have not watched Babylon 5 past eyes, you really should go ahead and leave now because we're going to be discussing a lot of what happens afterwards. So guys, let's dive in here. Let's go with Andrew's questions first. He said that he asked, does Psychor want to be in charge of Babylon 5? Or actually he asked, how long has Psychor wanted to be involved or in charge of Babylon 5? What do you all think about that? I think, I don't think they necessarily want to be in charge of Babylon 5 per se. I don't think they care about Babylon 5. I wouldn't go that far either. They recognize the importance of Babylon 5. They want to be in charge of the Earth government. There you go. And they know that to do that, given the role of Babylon 5 with diplomacy and the other alien races, they they do need to have influence and an eye there, but not necessarily control it. Yeah, I agree with that. I think they have bigger fish to fry than just one station. I think Bester just saw this as a way to screw with Sinclair a little bit, and he had no problem with that, but that's about you know, it. it. It raises this question to me again about how important do different people think that Babylon 5 is? Like, I really question whether, uh, you know, we keep hearing Lando make references to his job. You know, he thinks his job is a joke. And it, it, it makes me wonder how much stock Earth puts into the to Babylon 5. It was obviously not a cheap project, especially since they did it five times. Uh, but at the same time, I also get a sense, like like you pointed out, that maybe it's kind of out there and they don't necessarily care that much about what it's doing as long as it's keeping alien ships from incinerating Washington. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously it's important to our, our newbies because they're being told this is where the story is. But yeah, I agree. I think at this point, I mean, even the, the, the reporter who came on several episodes ago said most people just figured this place was going to blow up. <laughs> So the fact that it's been around for two years, it's pretty impressive. Next one is Justin's questions, or at least a couple of his. So what happened with the possible possible smuggling of arms to Mars? This is funny to me because Justin has been so perceptive about where his predictions think the show is going. And I got the sense that he thought this arm smuggling plot was like a pick up and drop thing. And it's like that he, that he didn't fathom that it was going to continue. Yeah. Well, and speaking of somebody who hit the nail on the head, I can't wait to get to what Emily said about uh-huh. does Ivana uh-huh. have a sigh ability? Because we all know, all, all four of us know, and the viewers, uh, that she ha- is a latent telepath. Well, just skip I ahead, Kevin. Go for it. And I can't believe that, you know, Emily really picked up on that, just complete, completely and utterly picked up on it. I'm glad this is an audio podcast so everyone can see how terrible I am at having a poker face when Emily says that kind of stuff. I'm just like, oh, maybe. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, there was even a line that that uh, Harriman says that kind of points it out. It's like, oh, most like he starts to say it and gets interrupted. But I, he's starting to right. explain like, oh, most people can't tell when they're being scanned. And uh, yeah. Well, and then that, that goes right into, um, you know, Jesse's question about Ivanova talking about Talia and the fact that she was thinking about her uh, when Harriman Gray had a 
had a passing scan and then her prediction that they're going to end up be uh, having something between them. And they certainly would have if Andrew Thompson hadn't left the, sh- left the show, but she, she uh, uh, admits later on in the show that she was in love with Talia. Well, and they do spend a night together. Yeah. We do get them. I mean, we don't know if they actually consummate whatever, but they definitely spend at least a night together and are definitely more than friends at that point. Okay. uh, So we had another question from Justin prediction. uh, The rebellion on Mars will have reaching consequences going forward. And does this affect the future of the Earth Alliance and Babylon five? Uh, a little bit yeah since babylon 5 is going to declare independence and go to war with her alliance yeah it's going to have a lasting effect <laughs> while we're talking earth alliance justin also had a question around the formation of the earth alliance mm-hmm. and there was one of the novels they did on i think it was a series on the psychor investor uh, but they actually got some into the history of the earth alliance which was founded in the late Basically, I think around 2080 sometime. And it was several countries, United Kingdom, United States, some of Europe, uh, in the aftermath of a World War III scenario. And then what really got EarthGov going was the Mars colony. They founded a small scientific colony in the early 22nd century that really picked up and uh, led to the full-scale colonization of Mars. And that's what led to the Earth Alliance becoming a power. Sorry, I'm tweeting about if you you fasten our zip first. because <laughs> I caught that reference. Fasten then zip. Are you seriously asking me about this right now? Something like that. I'm actually like talking my ear off here and I'm muted. So on Twitter, Jeremy asks, and again, we'll get to this episode when we get to this episode, but no, 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 that's incorrect, fellas. You zip and then fasten. Otherwise, you run the risk of leaving your fly down. And I'm replying as our podcast, you fasten and then zip to avoid, uh, in order to avoid injury. We'll just leave it at that. This is the professional, hard-hitting journalism you get when you join the Gray 17 Podcast Twitter family. So anyway, Justin predicts that uh, Home Guard and Ben Zane are in league. Um, it's possible. He seems I mean, the type, but yeah. I mean, he's clearly really in league it. with the Psychor, and the Psychor is clearly in league with Home Guard, but he's not guaranteed to know that that Psychor is involved with Home Guard. I mean, I, it, I wouldn't. Even, oh, go ahead, Mike. I'll say if, if nothing else, he's he's being used as a puppet by Psychor to get back at Sinclair. And I think that's about the only thread you can pull. Yeah, I think there are I, one of the things that the, the, the newbies haven't experienced yet. And so they just don't understand it yet is Home Guard and Earth Alliance. Even being a part of Earth Alliance does not make you Home Guard right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and vice versa. And we'll actually see that like Lockley will get asked in season five, what side of the war were you on? And she says, I was on the side of earth, whatever that may mean. So I think our guys are assuming that every big bad is home guard. Whereas it doesn't have to be the case. Now that being said, I could definitely see Ben Zane wearing a black night watch yeah. thing, but I mean, that's, that's all I'm saying is I, I think there's, yeah, there's a propensity to say, Oh, anybody that's a, a, a giant d-bag in this show is going to be part of home guard because they're the biggest d-bags that we know of so far yeah and they're going to continue to be the biggest d-bags for quite some time we haven't even gotten started with Nightwatch yet so yeah it's like he seems the type but we don't know for in any way shape or form that that's true he might just be an independent yeah. jerk <laughs> yeah and uh, i would also go as far to mention that psychor is not home guard psychor is using home guard to its advantage much like psychor is using earth alliance and using earth force they're using everybody it doesn't matter they're all pawns in psychor's game whoever they can use to move ahead is what they're going to do what psychor doesn't realize yet is that they are a pawn in the shadows game so that's the way it is yeah so we got john's questions next uh yeah, how does psyability manifest i i imagine one day you can read somebody's thoughts i don't yeah and it usually it does usually happen at a young age uh we know that um like bester manifested from a very young age and the whole story of bester is not done here in the shows but is done in the uh telepath war books and actually bester is the child of uh two rebels who were trying to go against Psychor. And then when his parents were killed, he was brought up by his grandfather who happened to be the head of Psychor and became a Psychor person. But then like, we'll, we'll get like the, uh, next season, we'll get the commercial, the Psychor commercial with the uh, subliminal messaging and the kid 
is like, I get picked on in school and I don't know why. And then the psych cop shows up and says, you may be a latent, latent telepath, Timmy. And if you join the psych corps, we'll pay for everything for life. Hey. So I think it's definitely at a young age for sure. I thought it was interesting that Harriman Gray talked in this episode about how it manifested itself when he was in uh, the beginning of flight school and he's yeah. a P10. I find that kind of interesting. I was, I was just going to say that too. Yeah. Harriman would have had to have picked up on his talent much later than I would have thought. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. That's true. Anything else you guys want to add about this episode that we missed? Uh, I would want to say that the dream sequence is very important. Emily hit it on the head. Mm-hmm. We already discussed that, but also, and Kevin, you mentioned this during our commentary on YouTube. Yeah. So Macaulay Bruton or Breton was the tragedy face in the dream sequence and JMS being somebody who is not uh, uh, coy about something said on the Usenets back in the day that there's a reason why Macaulay was a tragedy figure. And you'll know more about that when we get to the episode called Revelations. So (laughs) he didn't really hide spoilers too well. (laughs) Scott, you didn't want me to talk about Zabagabi? You should have brought that up with the newbies. I don't think no, that would have mattered. No. I was thinking it was, that it was good in the commentary. That's that's good enough. For those playing the home game, Bill Moomy referenced his own band and JMS did not appreciate it. But you can learn more about that by going to YouTube and checking out our commentary for eyes. And by the way, when you check us out on YouTube, hit that notify button, that little bell icon, because that way you'll know when we go live, when we start talking about other commentaries. Blake, what do you got? I just wanted to comment, and I know we've talked about it before with, you know, the command list for Babylon 5, and it's going to come up in season two when Sheridan comes in. They uh, General Haig mentions that they have a list of people to take over Babylon 5 in the event anything happens to uh, Sinclair. And with President Clark, it's you look for that personality that looks like a military hard ass. And, you know, so that kind of makes sense with this episode. You see Benzane going for it. You're going to see Sheridan get it. And the difference is, uh, and I think even potentially Clark might have known it. And that's why Clark had, or not Clark, uh, Santiago knew this. And that's why Santiago had Sheridan on that list is he can look like the military hard ass, but we all know he isn't. Cool. So next week we'll be talking about TKO. And I'm sure there'll be a lot to bring up beyond the rim for that one. Not really, but we'll try. So until next week, I'm Scott. And with me as always has been Mike, Kevin and Blake. And we will be back next week for TKO. And hopefully Blake will have his voice back because that would be important too. Thanks. It's TKO. My voice may just say, fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) 